Welcome. This is Karen Modakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet on KDRT 95.7 FM. All right. Mark Butler is here today, and he is the budget-loving nerd that has been a continual guest, and we get to talk about money, one of the topics that I really love, and I hope we get into the nuts and bolts for you guys. And we're going to be talking about under-earning or overspending and what's the difference. So stay tuned, listen to this conversation, and I will circle back with you after it's done. Thanks so much for listening. Mark Butler, hello and welcome back. Hi, Corinne. How you doing? Good. And I guarantee this is going to be longer than a two-minute conversation. (laughs) It always is, (laughs) in spite of my fears. I love to talk. And then talking about money on top of that is like heaven to me. It is fun. I, I we we can ge- we we do geek out on it together, don't we? It is great, and it, you know the thing is, is that I hope it gives the listeners permission to really talk about it, talk about money, talk about your money story. What are your thoughts? Like, talk about real numbers. I mean, obviously, with people who've earned the right to hear it, you mm-hmm. know, and you start to discover that. Where do you? And sometimes it's going to be a little uncomfortable because maybe you're going to disclose, you know, how much you make or how much you bought a house for. But you you do that, and then you just notice how it feels afterwards because it's tangible. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know, for me, I always feel like you're talking about, you're talking around the elephant in the room when you're like, Oh, 10% this 2%. Like, what does that mean? What, yes. what's, give me the number. Just give me the number. Because, and cause for me, I don't define anybody by numbers. I know people do. Right. But again, you want to find somebody who's not going to define by numbers. So today we're going to talk about, I love this under earning or overspending. And what's the difference? Sounds pretty catchy when you say it, doesn't it? It does. I like it. This came up when I was talking to a client yesterday. We were we were preparing together a little bit, brainstorming about a presentation I'm going to give at a seminar she's giving next month. And we were brainstorming around some ideas, and and she said, "Well, I want to I want you to talk about the patterns you see in your clients' businesses and in their lives." And she said, one thing that I've always found interesting about you is when I hired you, I thought you would definitely come into my business and just start to tell me what I had to cut. Oh, you got to cut this. You got you to gotta cut back over here because that's what people think of when they hear the word budget. Mm-hmm. They immediately go to cutting things. And I'm not, it's just not, it's not my personality and it's not my process. And I said, well, the reason I didn't have to come into your business and talk about cuts is because you, you didn't have a problem. I mean, you had low awareness, and low awareness is a problem. But once I was able to get my hands on your numbers, I didn't see, um, I didn't see any area where I thought there was, you know, waste or fluff or, you know, we, we got to we got to cut back here. And it's just not, it's not what I do. And I said, but I, when I'm looking at a business or at a set of personal finances, if I'm looking at someone's personal budget, I'm trying to get a sense of their earnings and their spending and the difference between the two. And, and in doing that, what I'm really discovering is whether I think in this situation, whether it's a business or a family's household finances, 
I'm trying to see whether there's an earning problem or a spending problem or neither. And the way I would know that there is neither an earning spending an earning problem nor a spending problem is if there is a surplus every month and if that surplus over time is growing. So what that would mean is not only do I have money left over at the end of the month and I can see that in a growing bank balance, like a growing savings balance or retirement account balance or, you know, reduced mortgage balance, if that's what they're attacking in their life right now. But I also see that number accelerating because that would mean that they are simultaneously either holding their spending constant or better said, they're growing their spending more slowly than they're growing their earnings. So they're simultaneously improving their earning power and keeping their spending in check so that their surplus is growing and accelerating. But if I don't see that, then I have to dig in on the spending side or the earning side and say, do we have an earning problem or a spending problem? And I know that we have a spending problem when a person's income is growing over time, but their surplus isn't. So it's like, okay, you've got, the, you've got the making money piece figured out or you're figuring it out, but your surplus isn't growing. Therefore, you're, out, you're outspending the growth and the earnings. It, it reminds me of uh, this stupid YouTube video that I saw years ago, but it, I call it stupid, but it has stuck in my head, so it couldn't have been that stupid. You have this personal trainer standing by a table. He's got two guys with him there. One guy's eating pizza. The other guy's on the treadmill. And the guy opens the video and very blandly says, you cannot out-exercise a bad diet. Mm -hmm. He's like, okay, go. The guy on the treadmill starts sprinting. He's like, for all his life, he is sprinting. The guy with the pizza starts eating. And the trainer says, well, you just ate a slice of pizza. That's 300 calories. Hey, how many calories did you burn on the treadmill? And the dude had burned two calories in the same amount of time. So the guy's point was, you cannot out-exercise a horrible diet. And in my world, you can't out-earn a willingness to spend all of your money because there's always something new to purchase. So that's how I know when there's a spending problem. On the other end, if I go into a household and I see, I dig into the spending and I say, you know what? you really can't cut back more than you have already without really impacting your lifestyle. And maybe you want to, maybe that's okay. You can talk about it, but there's not fluff here that I would trim back. So if you're feeling tight and if your surplus isn't growing, we really have an earning problem more than we have a spending problem. And then we address those, the earning problem, the spending problem, of course, very differently. But that's where I'm coming from with under earning versus overspending. Okay, so let's talk numbers to give a more concrete example because I think I followed you, but I want to go through this process because, you know, I am a slow learner and and I like to talk about numbers. So, I, and I, I think I followed you on the numbers, but let's, let's, can you just put numbers to this concept to give it another frame point? Put numbers to the concept. So if you are, if it's not an earning problem, mm-hmm. right? And that means you have fixed expenses. I don't know. We'll say, what, what would we give the fixed expenses numbers to be? You mean like on a monthly basis in a household? Oh, I was thinking more yearly. Do you think in terms of monthly? 
I think in terms of monthly. Okay. I think in terms of yearly, but that's fine. Let's go with monthly. I like that. Um, so fixed expenses, fixed expenses, you want like a typical fixed expenses? Where are we headed with this? What do you mean? Just fixed expenses, just numbers to, to kind of demonstrate. Like, I guess we should think about kind of, you know. Okay. Let's take the big three. The big three are housing, mm-hmm. food, transportation. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's do $2,000 a month in housing because you either own a home in Utah or rent in California. <laughs> <laughs> if you're lucky. <laughs> right. Uh, so $2,000 a month in, in housing expense. Um, let's say that you're a family of four. This is there's a lot of variability uh-huh. right here. If you're a Whole Foods kind of family, then you're probably at like two fifty per person per month. If we got two two adults and two, let's do easy math. How about one thousand a month? Okay, thousand a month um, for food, and then for transportation. You know, it depends on if you have a car payment and how far your commute is. But let's say that you have a two hundred fifty dollar car payment and you spend three hundred dollars a month on fuel. So you've got a little bit of a commute or you have to drive your kids all over the world because of their activities. But there's two cars. There's two that's true. There's two cars. So a thousand so again? We'll call it a thousand. So between the big in the big three, housing, food, transportation, we've got four thousand dollars in fixed expenses. Mm-hmm. Now we're gonna be realistic and say that there's another thousand on top of that in miscellaneous expenses. Uh, which is probably even that might even be too low, but now we're at five thousand dollars in, in household expenses. That's easy math. That's sixty thousand a year. Sixty thousand a year take home. Mm-hmm. Um, if if you're finding that if you're finding that you can't get ahead on that sixty thousand, you have to dig into the miscellaneous. You have to dig into like okay. In that thousand of sort of miscellaneous expenses, where can we move the needle? Mm-hmm. And if the food that we talked about earlier is really just groceries, then then in this miscellaneous we have eating out, we have clothing, we have entertainment, we have alcohol, which is a is a category unto itself in a lot of budgets. And there's no judgment there. It's just that's an expensive consumable that where a lot of money can go. Um you look at those kinds of things and those are the things that are easier to fix in the short term. If you do have, um, a spending problem, you know, we can eat out less, we can drink less often. Um, we can, we can do different things for entertainment. We can look at our kids activities and decide whether or not those are, you know, every one of their activities is really great for them or whether they're maybe a little over scheduled and a little over, yeah, too many activities. We can look at all these things. Those are things that are much easier to fix in the short term or to analyze in the short term. And then if you zoom out and think about a longer time horizon, then you have to do some analysis on, well, the housing expense is, could we move that needle? Uh, Could we downsize? Mm -hmm. Could we change to a less expensive zip code? The other day I had a client tell me that she's tired of fighting with the New York, New Jersey cost of living. So she's moving her family to Raleigh, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. It's not an easy thing to do, but she and her husband decided that weighing all the pros and cons, they just felt like they were fighting an uphill battle 
trying to make the New York, New Jersey life work. But that's a, a bigger, longer term. It takes longer to make that decision, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it comes to the cars, you can decide in the, in the short term, you could very quickly sell the cars if you have payments and down, downgrade to something that doesn't have a payment. Or you could just decide, well, we'll pay these cars off as quickly as we can, and then we won't finance new cars. Or go to one car. Or you go to one car. These are the things that you have to analyze if you feel like you can't get ahead on the income you have and you don't have a lot of mobility in your income. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's wouldn't it be an example of, okay, let's look at this if it's a spending problem. So this 5000 a month and we can't get ahead, is it a spending problem? But what if the answer is, nope, this is our housing, you know, this is our food, then we may be able to save 50 bucks here or there, but that's the reality. We must have two cars because of family needs and work needs. And the $1,000, it could vary. Maybe some months it's 800 and some months it's 1200 In the end, it balances out. So in the end, it's we average out to 5000 a month. So then we would say, okay, maybe it's not a... Is this where you would say, okay, it's not a spending problem, therefore it would be an earning problem? Yeah, now that we're having this conversation, I'm realizing I should have just used myself as the example because about two... And a half, three years ago, I'd, I'd sold some businesses and I'd made just enough to sort of limp away from the businesses and figure out what my next thing was going to be. I got a job and the job was great. The salary was 70000 per year. Mm-hmm. And so my wife and I were just for the first time figuring out how to budget money. We weren't totally clear on whether 70000 a year was going to sustain us, but but it was a good job. And it offered a lot of balance and a lot of health in our life. So we jump into the job with the $70,000 per year salary. We, we settle into that salary and we start to budget and we make it work. And we got really good at cost control. I mean, for that period of my life, that, that next year, year and a half, I was, I was very granular. You know, I was, I was looking at the money every day. I was analyzing where we could save. I was doing tough analysis on our housing. Should we downsize? Should we move? Um, should we go down to one car, even though we didn't have car payments at the time, but should we go down to one car just to save on insurance and gas and maintenance? We broke down and analyzed every aspect of our life. Cut some things back where we felt like we could. You know, we got the time my son had been in private preschool or private kindergarten or something and took him out of that, realized he can be just as happy at this charter school over here that's free. So we went through these processes and having done all of it, we were making it work, but we still weren't able to really save money. And I finally said to her, we're fooling ourselves if we think that it's okay for us to spend what we earn, even if we've cut all the expenses that we possibly can. Because you could sort of, you could say, well, we... We've cut everything we can. There's still no money to save. We're not really getting ahead, but what can we do? We've cut everything we can. I have a full-time job. And that was where I realized that if I've cut where I felt like I reasonably can without damaging my family's health or quality of life, and I'm still not able to make financial progress, then I have an earning problem. Mm -hmm. And that was when I went to my boss and I said, I have an earning problem. I'm not asking you to give me a raise for no reason, but I... I need to make more money. What would you think of me taking 
our budgeting philosophy, because I was working for You Need a Budget, the budgeting company. What if I took our philosophy and I turned it into a service where I consulted small businesses on our budgeting philosophy? He said, yeah, let's do it as an experiment. We figured out a commission-based structure for me so that I could have mobility in my income. That's how Budget Nerd was born, my current business. And it all came from a realization that I had an earning problem and not a spending problem. It's exactly the same way, by the way, that you need a budget. The company was born. The founder, Jesse Meekin, was in college. He was very good with his money, naturally tracked it very tightly. He had a new baby. He was newly wed, and then about a year later, they had, a, they had a new baby. And he realized that they'd cut where they could cut, and he either was going to have to take out a student loan, or his wife was going to have to go back to work. Or he had to figure out how to cover their rent, which at the time was $350 per month. So at that point, he's like, well, I don't want my wife to have to go to work. She doesn't, she doesn't want to. I don't want to take out a student loan. I got to make $350 per month. And he started to sell the spreadsheet that he used to manage his finances. And that's how budget.com was born. So he realized he had an earning problem. And really interesting things happened when he recognized the earning problem and did something about it. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great example of, you know, when we get, we go down and for me talking about the abstract, right. But when we can get and talk about this, that should be able to help the listeners to determine, okay, the difference between are you under earning or are you overspending? And it sounds like when, even when you took this job and you were learning how to do the budgeting, you were learning in taking a look at it, but it would be like in my terms of a growth mindset, like, okay, we're not going to beat ourselves up about it. Maybe we overspent here or underspent, you know, over, overspent is usually when we tend to beat ourselves up. But, oh, when I overspent here, look where those dollars go. And it's, we, we're not taking care of this priority over here. We start to actually get clear about what our priorities are, don't we? Yeah, because you start to recognize the alternatives that you're choosing. So, I'm with you. I, I have a no shame, no blame policy in any financial conversation. Mm-hmm. When I was when I was digging deep on my expenses in that year, trying to figure out how to make this seventy thousand dollars salary work, I was never beating myself up about it. I don't play the well, we're never going to eat out again game. I don't. I don't get that game. What I do is say, okay, well, we're spending at the time. It might have been uh, two hundred bucks a month eating out or mm-hmm. something. And what I really decided that I had to analyze was it's not that I'm anti-eating out. I just have to acknowledge what's my alternative to eating out. How would that alternative feel Mm -hmm. versus the feeling I get from eating out? And then I have to make a decision. And it may very well end up that I choose to continue eating out at that rate and just recognize that the the money will have to come from somewhere to support that. Mm -hmm. And it might come from cutting expenses elsewhere or it might come from earning more money but I was taking an objective approach to every outflow in my life and deciding what it really gave me and then deciding whether or not to continue with it. Well, that's about being aware and making choices and owning those choices. Right. And I was recently in Florida and I guess they don't have state income tax. And, you know, uh, it was interesting because I thought about it and I go, wow, there's no state income tax. And, you know, as I ma- I'm making some purchasing decisions, um back home about things, it made me realize that I choose to live in California 
where we have state income tax. And I could live someplace else, but I really like living in California. And so for me, I've accepted, like I don't fight with the state income tax. I know it's there. I make choices. Um, I, I pay business, you know, state taxes as well and LLC taxes. So, but these are all choices that I make living here, knowing that. And as I was thinking about this bigger purchase I'm going to be making in the upcoming months, it gave me perspective of, okay, it's not right or wrong. It's about what choices do I want to make? And do I want those dollars to go there to the purchase or do I want those dollars to go elsewhere? And what it does is it eliminates the drama or the judgment of, well, if you're, if you were really a good girl, Corinne, you wouldn't do this, right? And it eliminates all that going, okay, what, where do I want to spend my money? You know, what is the choice that I want within the values that I have? And it's, again, it's not about pleasing other people or, you know, judging myself or shaming myself into going to something that's less than, right? It's, it's just about where do I choose to spend my money? Yeah, there's no, there's no should in this process. You can't, you can't should on yourself as you're trying to make these decisions. I should, I should eat out less. I should, I should move out of California because taxes would be so much lower and housing would be so much cheaper. These are, this is a pointless way of thinking about things because it's shame driven. Instead of just saying, these are the alternatives and I choose this one for these reasons and I own it and I run with it. Mm-hmm. Where people have problems in their financial lives is when they won't do the objective analysis because they're scared of the answer. And then when they won't act based on the discovery that they make Mm -hmm. because the action is scary. Mm -hmm. So a person might be in California living there. And if they, if they have kind of a victimized mindset, they will blame the high taxes. They'll blame the high, high cost of living instead of saying, I love the sunshine here. I love my proximity to so many things in California, you know, the beach, the mountains, you know, all of these amazing things that I have access to. I choose to stay close to those things. And I recognize that if I'm going to stay close to those things, I'm going to stay in this zip code. I have to figure out my earning. Mm-hmm. I have to increase my income. And that's scary to me, but I'm going to take a three or five year view of it. I'm going to go after it so that three to five years from now, I've resolved my earning challenges. I can enjoy my zip code and there doesn't have to be any of this blame or, or frustration around the whole situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really taking ownership of what is it that you want to create and then going and pursuing it and giving yourself the permission to pursue it. You know, I, I mean, obviously I make a financial choice. I'm born and raised in California. So, you know, but I make a choice to live here. And even in my, in my town that I live in, I could go and live in the foothills and have, you know, that the kind of house that you can buy in the foothills is significantly better than like what our community provides. But the reason that we choose to live in our community is because it is a community. The schools are great. It's a really nice place to raise families. We have these green belts that, you know, stroll all, go throughout the, the town. We have a lot of parks and it's a very community focused. And then we also don't allow, uh, you know, retail businesses to come in. So there's not that kind of revenue stream, but it's a very deliberate choice of, I would rather have, I, again, not, I'm not, it's not that I, 
in, I'm pro taxes. So don't get me wrong on that. But I choose the benefits of living in this community over some of the other benefits of living in another community. And I do that where I own it. It's not a victim like, oh, woe is me. You know, there's so much better houses if I were to move to the foothills. Instead, I'm like, okay, this is where we live. And, and I appreciate that. Exactly. That's, that's it. And that's, that's kind of the whole thing. Do the analysis, um, own, you know, do the, do honest analysis, own the results of those, anal- of that analysis, and then act accordingly. Mm-hmm. Even and, when it means getting out of your comfort zone. And I love how you were able to go to your boss and say, look, I have an earning problem. Like to be able to own that and then ask for what it was that you wanted. And you had a creative solution instead of being in that victim mindset of, oh no, this isn't working and you need to rescue me and save me. You walked in and said, okay, here's what I'm noticing. I want to increase my revenue. And here's kind of where I think of how I can do a value added situation for both the company and myself. And that's very proactive. It, it, I was grateful to be in a situation where I knew that I could have that conversation with my boss could have gone the other way. And mm-hmm. for a lot of people, they probably don't even feel like they have the option to go to their boss and have it be that simple. Hey, could we do this thing where I'm commission based? So that's one solution of a million solutions for an earning problem. I think that where people have to, what they have to accept is that, Earning problems are typically harder to solve than spending problems because I have almost total control over my spending with the exception of things like medical expenses that may pop up. So it's much easier for me to just operate in my own space and say I can decide how to spend money and how not to spend money. Earning almost always involves getting a yes from other people, whether you're self-employed and it's getting a yes from customers or you're or you're employed and it's getting a yes from your employer. So when you, I think that's why a lot of people throw their hands up at the earning question. Well, I, I can't do anything about my income because I can't quit my job, but I also can't demand a raise from my boss. Mm-hmm. I think the reality mm-hmm. of an earning problem is you have to take a longer view. It is, it is very often a three to five year time horizon to really change your income uh, level and how you earn it. And it will involve some discomfort between here and there, usually. Because you'll usually have to maintain the income you have because it's what make your, makes your life work. And you'll have to give up some leisure and or some sleep in order to create a transition, in order to, in order to move in a direction of better earnings. Because you're either educating yourself or you've taken a side gig or you're, you're, you're driving for Uber or you're renting out some space via Airbnb. Wh- whatever you're doing is usually – harder if what you're doing is trying to earn more money it's harder than it is to just say well we're going to eat out half as often Mm -hmm. so i hope people will recognize that and not give up because it it does take longer and 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 as a result more patience to solve an earning problem than it does to solve a spending problem well and but here's the thing about like the eating out right I mean, people will say like, oh, I'll cut out this. It's kind of like what you were talking earlier where the idea of budget is cutting out, eliminating because we're in the scarcity mindset culturally. Mm-hmm. But you know, people will say, okay, I'm going to eliminate this. I'm going to eliminate this. And they make these plans. I mean, they do this with diets too, right? Mm-hmm. But then when you know, 
push comes to shove, kids have a baseball game. It's late at night. You know, you run out of time. There was no planning. And next thing you know, boom, um, you are uh, going to get food, right? And mm-hmm. then and that happens, say, eight times over the course of the month because of just, you know, these unscheduled sporting events or back to t- school night or whatever may be going on. And then that can create a lot of shame. So that's the other thing is that, you know, being realistic about like when you do make those cutbacks, you know, is this something that you can sustain? Because like I know for me, I'd be like, oh, well, I'm just never going to eat out. And then I don't have to worry about spending that money. Well, that's, you know, that was totally unsustainable because I would eat out. And so for me, it was kind of putting a boundary around how often we would eat out, not only from a financial perspective, but just from a health and wellness perspective as well. You know, so what would that container be, you know, each week? And I do for for food and stuff, I like to break it down each week um, so that I can make adjustments as it goes on. It Succeeding in reducing your spending takes planning mm-hmm. uh, because habits are habits are powerful. But routines, you know, we do so many of the things we do because not even that they're bad, but just because they're they're in the natural flow of our life. And so if you're going to change that natural flow because, you know, in pursuit of some goal, it takes a lot of focus and it takes a lot of planning. That's why in the early days when I was really trying to figure out how to make my life work on a $70,000 salary and I was coming from self-employment where my average my income over the previous few years had averaged above 150,000 a year. So I was looking at a 50% pay cut. I, I could we only could do it because I paid extreme attention to everything that was going on. I mean, I was in my money. And when I say in my money, what I mean is I was looking at my budget. I was looking at my financial plan probably twice every day. Mm-hmm. And anytime there was a discussion, I mean, if it was like, we need light bulbs, mm-hmm. it's not that we couldn't buy light bulbs. It's that I was then, okay, I was looking at my budget and saying, okay, light bulbs. Light bulbs are going to cost $12, <laughs> you know. And how does that $12 impact the ability to buy other things this month. And I was, I wasn't doing it from an anxious place. I was just trying to do it from a high awareness place because I wanted to understand my expenses deeply so that I could shift habits and make my life work. And then as my income did creep back up, I now had the ability, I had the deep understanding of the expenses so that I could I could capture the value of the increased income, whereas before when I was making 150 a year, it was all going right back out because I wasn't, I didn't have a deep understanding of the expenses and how to massage them for my own benefit, for my family's benefit. So what made you, because here's the thing, you said you were, you know, you were at this high awareness place, right? You weren't in the shameful place of like, oh my gosh, and and most people are, especially when it comes to money. It's like, oh, just duck and cover and it will all work out. I'm just not going to think about it. Right. And then that's why the debt occurs and all the problems. But how were you able to not be aware when you were making a higher income to being aware and not being stuck in a shame storm? How did I do that and avoid shame? Mm-hmm. Where you could just be observing. Um, maybe part of it is that I like numbers. Mm-hmm. And so I liked to play this game. I like to play this sort of this video game 
of how to make my money work. But that might not even be a fair answer because in order to even consider it a game, I, I had to be past had to be past the point of shame about it to even say, well, this is just a fun game that we play. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, Corinne. I don't know how I I don't know how I made that transition without a lot of shame. I think I think in that shame, there's work to be done. There's there's opportunities for people to do work with therapists, life coaches to really to help understand why they feel ashamed. I don't I, I would defer to you on that. Where's that shame coming from? Well, usually like for men, shame is weakness, right? And so especially when when it comes and I'm not saying this is how you were feeling, but shame is typically weakness. And so it's interesting because, you know, this is the work that I do, right? When I I'll talk about shame or something and I've had a couple of guys say to me, this is just in my private life as I was kind of out and about in the world having conversations and they're like, well, I don't feel shame. And, and I know that it's some, in some arena in their life, they do. It's either going to be financially, it's going to be their career title, where they are in their career. It could be sexually, but anything that kind of taps into a man appearing weak, right? Because societally we put men into, you need to be the white knight and rescue me. Uh Right. So Uh it's this weakness. And so money, like for women, shame can be body image, right? Um, and it's that I'm not enough. I'm not perfect enough. I'm not good enough. Men, it's typically some sort of what they would interpret as weakness. And it could be strong enough. It could be, you know, as their health declines in, in elder years of, you know, feeling shame that their body may not function in the same way. And I'm, I'm just talking about like, you know, being able to be as active as they once were. So for, um, you know, so again, going back to, this idea with money, money can be a shame trigger for men because it's like, well, the story can be, well, I used to make $150,000 and now I only make 70000 You know, I'm, I'm not, you know, and I'm not saying this is your story, but, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm a loser, right? That would be my story. I'm a loser or whatever. And, but for some, for whatever reason, and maybe it was because of the benefits of, look, it was going to be good for your family. Here was this good job you know, they, for the health and wellness, that those those benefits outweighed the the shame aspect for you. Well, it's it's actually really interesting that you say that because um, I think I'm probably fooling myself. I, when you say, you know, they say that men can say they don't feel shame, but mm-hmm. when you really dig into it, they actually do. And I think that's probably true for me because I was coming off you know, when I say that I sold these businesses, I did sell these businesses, but I just sold them for enough money to pay off a big chunk of debt and really just kind of crawl away licking my wounds because it had not gone well. I had earned well, but I didn't feel like I had anything to show for it. And I did feel like a loser coming out of that, mm-hmm. that whole situation. You know, I was thinking to myself, I, I had my story around, well, you know, at this point I was probably 35 and or 34, and it's like, well, I'm 34. By age 34, totally arbitrary number, of course. Uh-huh. Well, by age 34, I should have accomplished X, Y, and Z, and I I was making this much money, and I don't have anything to show for that money. So, but I but I didn't feel anxious around looking at the money. Maybe my shame was driving me like, okay, well, today, right now, I can't instantly change my earning situation because I have this job. But what I can instantly change is my spending. Mm-hmm. And maybe my shame drove me to say, okay, well, if you're not going to be a loser, if you're really going to be your family's white knight, 
you got to dig in on the spending first and foremost. You got to master that. Mm-hmm. And I did. I mean, I obsessed over it for the better part of a year until I finally saw, yeah, there's no, there's limited upside in mastering the spending for me. I have to go back to my, my more natural state, which is pursuing higher income. Mm-hmm. But uh, anyway, you make a great point. Yeah, I think I think shame was a big part and embarrassment around ending my businesses and going into employment was driving me to get really good at the spending piece. And, and here, here's the thing, because and you know I've had these guests because we want to avoid these bad feelings. Like we all feel shame, like 95 percent of us do. This, if you, if you, you know, so that's something that for all of us to know, that's the thing that we all want to resist and run away from and disconnect, and we either hide away from it, you know, we withdraw from life, we go into addictions, whatever. We can approval whore ourselves, or we puff up and become I call it inner gladiator. Right. So those are the ways we try to disconnect it. Shame is there. And, and as like Todd Cashton will say, who's from George Mason University, there's an upside to our dark side. And so there you right there is an example of what you just said. You had this, you know, shame of, you know, selling this business and, you know, being this high income earner than to not. But then you use that to drive you forward. Right. And, and create out, be, be able to move into a high awareness, not in place of fear but a high awareness so that you could use what I call the wizard brain, right? All parts of your brain instead of the fearful place of, because the fearful place is typically where, why we go into victimhood. We can't be resourceful and figure things out. And, and you can tell me where I'm wrong on any of this, but so that the idea is not to not feel shame. It's to be resilient towards it. Like, Oh, here I'm feeling it. Even though you probably didn't realize this back then, but for the listeners out there, like notice, like, what am I feeling? What are the stories I'm telling myself and how can I use this to support me in my life, you know, and take care of the responsibilities that I have? Because here's the thing is that when I used to not allow shame to happen, it would just take me down onto my knees and I would pitch a tent, build a campfire, and I just had this ring of people that I was always inviting and I would exhaust them because I was a really good storyteller, story fondler, and they would leave. And I just kept thinking, this is going to make it better. But now that I allow myself to actually feel it, you know, and understand here are these stories, you know, one of the stories is I'm a loser, which is, you know, when I tell this to like my friends, they just look at me. But that's, that's an old belief system I had of something I made up years ago when I was a kid, right? Not being able to understand stuff. I know that's not true. And I know that there's light and there's dark of me. I know I have strengths and weaknesses. And then I get into that resilient place and that resourceful place of, okay, let me figure this out. So the shame is not bad. It's about how can we move through it? So instead of living in the swamp land like I used to, it's about walking through it and moving through it. And the one thing I have to say is that, because this has been a constant topic, you know, when I've been with clients and just in meetings this past few weeks is that, you know, remembering that it's about moving through. It's about getting back up. It's, it's, there's beauty in the mess of it right? Like even for you to say, like, I love how you said, look, it's a three to five year time horizon. I mean, in this age of Google and now Amazon, like I ordered something from Amazon yesterday morning and I had it on my doorstep at seven o'clock at night. Right. And I was like, this is going to mess with people's brains because we will think that the rest of the world should, should be like this. And what's the cost to our society 
you know, in terms of what, how the employees are treated. That's something I think about. But what's the cost to our society when we have such a transactional mindset that I can make an order and boom, it's on my doorstep within 13 hours. Right. So, you know, I love this idea that that three to five year time span of creating income. And you talked about ways where like Uber. Oh my gosh. When I was in Orlando again, all those Uber drivers and, and I need to look into Uber because I might have some ethical issues with Uber, but right, right. Um, but I would talk with the drivers cause I was kind of interested. I'd, I'd only, I haven't really delved into it, but I would talk to them and they all had these other jobs. This is something they did on the side. Right. And, and it was an income opportunity or, you know, like you mentioned, Airbnb, like if you can get resourceful enough and not have shame around it, not be like, oh, I'm a loser and I have to rent out part of my house, but wow, I have a couple of extra rooms or I have an extra room, you know, here's a way I can offset some income, some expenses is by generating this as my next step. Maybe it's not something you do for the rest of your life, but it could be a short term solution. Exactly. Exactly. And you, once you harness that shame and use it to drive you forward, you actually realize the downside of this, of this world where, where, you know, Amazon prime can deliver something on the same day. That's the downside of it, that it can mess with our perspective. But the upside is it is that it creates all these interesting cracks and crevices in the economy that we can and insert ourselves into to make extra money um, that would have been hard or impossible for people 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. So as soon as you decide to harness the shame and move forward in a direction where you actually want to create some new income, develop some new skills, the resources available to you today are almost mm-hmm. unlimited and, and at all price levels. You, know, you, can, you can learn new skills for free on the internet. You can pay to learn new skills in a more structured environment on the internet. You can jump immediately into something like Uber or Airbnb, as long as it matches your your ethics and your values. As soon as you decide, I'm not going to just, I love what you said, I'm not going to live in the swampland. So as you were saying, the three to five years, you know, you're commenting on, on me saying that, I was realizing this all started for me in 2013. This is 2016. Mm-hmm. So 13 was the year where I was working on mastering my spending. 14 was the year where I started trying to fix my income issue. This is the third year since then. Uh, my adjusted gross income in 2015, I think my accountant just told me it was 116000 And if things go on as they are, then now in year, in year three of working on my income, my adjusted gross income will probably be in the 140 or 150 range. And then up from there until until I feel like new income would be too expensive in the form of health or life, you know, mm-hmm. lifestyle. But I believe in that time frame. I believe that if you start to dig in, then sometime in the next three to five years, you can, you can have transformed your earning situation. And if you bring, if you bring better spending awareness with you, then you become one of those rare creatures in this world, you know, today's host included, not me, where you simultaneously have great earning power and great mastery of your spending. And I have a few friends like this where they just sort of have cash spilling out of their pockets mm-hmm. because they've mastered both sides of the, of the money equation, the spending and the earning. And that's really exciting to me that we can do both and we all can. Mm-hmm. 
But I, I think it really has to be taking the shame out of it or, you know, being resilient to shame because you can't not have shame, but, you know, noticing the messages and paying attention. And, you know, I'm the first that I can, I'm, I'm working on having a better relationship with myself, right? Because I can beat myself up pretty hard, even though I know that compassionate people or being compassionate is the greatest motivator for change. But my instinct is like, what the bleep are you doing, Corinne? And <laughs> right. And so, and I don't like to make mistakes. And, and sometimes I have to talk myself off the edge of, you know, when maybe I overspend or something. And what had happened was we were in Orlando and we Ubered to go to a swim, to a pool to go run a swim practice and the pool was closed. And, you know, and I wanted to go, Corinne, what you, why didn't you look up on the website? You know, and I didn't, I trusted somebody else that said, oh, it's open. And I just had to go, it's okay. We have to take two Ubers and we didn't get to practice at that site, but it's okay. Like nobody's going to be, you know, not be able to eat because of it. So I'm always like, it's like, calm down, Corinne, calm down. And what, as long as I can do that. So there's like a little trigger because I want, I, I don't want to waste time or money, right? Which can be a shame trigger for me. But then realizing like, okay, this was an inconvenience. But what can we do from here? And I think that's important in in this whole money thing of you're going to make mistakes. But as long as you stay aware, then you can you can come back to going, oh, we did spend more money on eating out this month. What can we do differently next month? Oh yeah, if when you none of us can avoid those. Um, there's there are unavoidable circumstances. There are mistakes that happen. But if you if you operate your finances in a high awareness way. Mm-hmm. Then, in the long, you know, taking the long view, you you still make tons of progress. It's a tragedy when people are so afraid of the of the individual mistakes that happen now and then. When they're so scared of that happening that they just tune out completely because they don't want to feel the sh- the 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 momentary shame of the mistake. They don't want to, or the you know, it's not even a failure, but they think of it as a failure. They don't want to feel that way, so they just tune out completely. But you just don't, don't do it. I mean, just tune in, recognize the mistakes are going to happen, and just keep moving in a good direction and just guaranteed to produce a great result. I think that's a great way to end this conversation that was way longer than two minutes. <laughs> it always is. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, definitely tune in and realize you're going to make mistakes. But what can you learn from it? And then, you know, note to self the next time, you know, make a choice. And did it, did that, did that overspending, what did it give the promise? You know, a lot of times, sometimes the overspending would be about some sort of promise that you'll feel better. Like for me, it was, oh, I'll feel better. Well, a lot of times I didn't, you know, and uh, so check in with that. And so now when I, that was more around clothes shopping, like I would go and shop and I would buy something and, you know, and it was something that was on sale. And I was like, oh, but I should get it because it's on sale. And it's such a good deal. And then I would come home and it would be sitting on the bottom of my closet floor for like three months. I mean, that was, you know, that had nothing to do with the purchase. That was just me getting a high and the promise that, oh, I'll feel better or I'm deserving of this. Right. So, well, Mark, thank you so much for being a guest today. It's so fun to talk with you about money. Yeah. Thanks, Corinne. It's always fun. <laughs> thank you. In your life that there are no right or wrong answers. They're not mistakes that we can get out of alignment, but then come on back. And when you can really just look at, okay, is this an 
spending problem and go through and really take a look. We don't want to do it because what are the excuses? I'm not good with money. I'm too busy. I don't have time. I don't want to be constrained. Uh, you know, I'm not good enough. Uh, all these things. I'm a loser. I don't want it to define me. We can tell ourselves all that stuff, but really, let's just take a look at it. We can put those stories aside and take a look at where are you spending? And is the spending in line with how you want to spend your money? Because remember, a lot of times it comes down to choice. And going back to like even the conversation we had about California and state taxes, there are state income taxes in California. There are states that do not have them. If that were a high enough priority, maybe I wouldn't live in California. For me, I understand that and I pay it. It is a, it is a part of the privilege of living in California, right? That's the way I reframe it. And I pay my taxes and I also believe in, you know, having roads and schools and all that kind of stuff. So it's my contribution back and I reframed it. But remembering that these are choices and yes, we, ha- we have responsibilities to pay for because there's, there's a lot of agreements that our society has created and that we have to do. So paying attention to like, what are you spending it? And, you know, and creating a system that supports you. Mark always talks about YNAB. I've looked at it. I've looked at it for several years and I look at it and it just, for whatever reason, doesn't make sense to me. And I've been a Quicken user forever um, since the nineties. And um, in fact, until just last year, I was still on Quicken 2007 because I'm a Mac user. I tried QuickBooks, hated it. It didn't make sense to me. So I ran everything out of Quicken. It may not be the most efficient, you know, but I have a system that works for me. And the last year, I've really been trying to tweak it a little bit that is a little bit more supportive. And I'm in a my last year experience experiment, like being on top of it every month didn't really work out. So Mark and I were talking, he's like, Corinne, just set aside a time and get it done every month. So I've been trying to be more diligent about that instead of letting things, you know, creep up as they do. And also knowing that right now my time is not as taxed as it will become the summer with when I'm really busy with the Aqua Monster. So, you know, we'll see how it goes. It's an experiment. I'm in it. I'm committed to it. I'm committed to trying to uh, continue with t- quick in 2015 and I'm going to see how that goes versus, you know, what's easier to do is like, oh, maybe I should read about this. Maybe I should read about that. But really staying committed and saying, okay, I'm going to continue to fine tune this and give myself more time so that I can enhance because my system's not broken, but enhance it maybe so that there aren't so many days where I'm just like really mad at the computer or mad at myself because, I let a backlog of three months or six months happen. So the spending problem, you know, going through and is it a spending problem you have? Or you know what? That's really solid. Like you've got the nuts and bolts down, but maybe there is a shortfall. And then looking at, okay, maybe it's an earning problem. And what can I do about that? You know, Mark gave some realistic examples as far as like Uber or Airbnb. You know, when I was younger, I would go and pick up um, extra subbing shifts for coaching swimming And I did that when I needed to create some more income, you know, so like my friend Pam Slim um, has said is, you know, create a side hustle and you may have shame around that, but I invite you to unpack what those stories are. You don't have to work with me per se, but go, okay, here I'm feeling shame. What are the stories in my brain that I'm making up about this? And, you know, taking a look at that and also look around, you know, the other thing is maybe Mark and I'll talk about this one day is this idea of 
being a one income, you know, um, not household, but person. I know a lot of professionals who, you know, maybe maybe they're firemen and then they've got a side hustle on the side when they're on their days off. Or maybe they're a pilot and on their days off, they're a realtor, right? So what are other ways that people are generating income? And what are other ways that people are generating wealth? I mean, even, you know, like the rich and famous, uh, Drew Barrymore has a makeup company, right? And I know you'll say, but I'm not Drew Barrymore. I understand that. But just this idea that there was this old idea viewpoint of, one person, one job, one career. And now it's about creating sometimes different income streams. So, and I love his idea of the no shame, no blame policy. That's just a great way, like just looking at it. Okay, from a financial standpoint of what we're spending, you know, is there things that we can tweak? Are we out of our alignment with our values and our priorities? You know, if health and wellness is our top priority, but we're spending a lot of money at the bars, is that out of alignment? No judgment. You know, and it's like, or even with the eating out, like that he had mentioned, right? If you're, are you okay with the amount of money that you're spending eating out? Is it in line with your family's values or your household's values or your values? Is it in line with how you want to take care of yourself? And these are just questions to ask. Like I used to have this thing of like, oh, eating out was bad. You know, everything's good or bad, black and white. And really like, I do, I like to eat out. And, you know, we'll typically go out once or maybe twice a week And I do kind of time it like, you know, maybe like on a Friday night when I'm just done or maybe on a Saturday. Um, And and I've learned that through a lot of experimenting. I've realized that Sunday nights, people don't tend to go out a lot in my town. And that's actually a night that I like to just kind of hunker down and be at home. And so I've been cultivating, you know, what is our routine and fine tuning it over the last couple of years as I've been learning how to cook some more. So you know, the more that you can take shame and blame out of it, look at it. Money is math and it's really, really fun. And I would invite you to think about this conversation that I had with Mark today where he was talking about overspending and under earning and, how, you know, check in with yourself because you could be different than I, but how much did your brain attach to it versus when we started going down with numbers, right? And, and even though these are hypothetical numbers, but we went through it, we simplified the math, but we did that. Did that concept, did you understand it more? And maybe you're different than I, and that's totally um, appropriate and fine. For me, that's why I like to talk about numbers is that it gives me something concrete so I can understand it and something, something abstract. And then the, which could be a shame trigger of maybe I have the wrong answer. Maybe I don't really know. So, you know, paying attention to that and who are the people that you are on your list who've earned the right to hear a story about talking about money. You know, maybe it's your parent partner, you know, maybe it's your kids, maybe it's your best friend, maybe it's your friend that lives in another state who you're, you know, that's not going to cross-contaminate anybody in your hometown, you know, just starting to identify and what are the small steps that you can take in talking about money that eventually lead to the big ones, right? I used to be like, oh my God, I'm just so in love with this person. Let me just tell you everything. And I would hijack, you know, hijack it to try to create instant vulnerability, but that's not a very sustainable or lasting way to do it. But, you know, one marble at a time. And then finally in closing on this is that one of the things that I think becomes, it's really important, whether it's money, you know, weight loss, um, you know, creating the career you want, the family that you want, is that thinking about who you want to be and what are the small steps that you can take now. I used to discount small steps. And I don't know if I've talked about this on the show, but, you know, after being an athlete, being a swimmer, 
my entire life from like the time I was eight to about 21, maybe 22, I can't remember, but for a really long time and um, hanging up that suit, but training about 20 hours a week or sometimes more where I would then go to some masters and it was like, well, why would I do that? This is an hour. That's a waste of my time. And it was a very all or nothing instead of realizing like, hey, an hour I get to exercise, yay me. And so, you know, as you start to do this, even if you're saying you're saving $5 a month or you make a tweak in your spending $5 a month, yay you, because now you're learning how to do that. And if you keep committed to that, that $5 can turn into $20, which then can turn into $100, which then may turn into $200 of savings. And then maybe you're looking at, oh, I can generate another $100 over here. So it's changed about $300, right? And what's the impact that makes? So having the big goals in the end is great, but then also what can keep us going is those small goals day to day because then we're saying, okay, yeah, that $5, and I'm serious about this, you guys, $5, I'm serious. That $5, yay me, I did that. And you go, wow, and you can feel that feeling of pride or confidence in yourself or more importantly, that you honored your commitment to yourself because how often do we not honor commitments to ourselves? So you start to be, I'm a person who honors commitments to themselves. I save this $5 and then you continue on that path. And what happens over time is that's how you change who you are. You become more of you. You create the results of the goals that you wanted, but maybe didn't accomplish before because it was so big out there that you couldn't see how it could be possible. Trust me. Well, you don't have to trust me, but there were some big goals that I had 20 years ago. I did not know how I was ever going to create, you know, um, achieve them. I did not know. But what I did is I kept showing up in my life. I mean, one example would be, we'll go back to the swimming world is that, you know, when I finally decided my, after my sophomore year that I wanted to become a national champion and win in division two for the two and a fly the following year, you know, that was my long-term goal. And granted, I'd been a, been a swimmer for a long time at this point because I think I was 20 at the time or 19. But every morning when I would get up and, you know, my alarm would go off and be like, oh, and not a morning person, I would say, okay, but, you know, this, by going to this practice, it's going to, you know, get me in better shape so that I can achieve this goal, you know, and then I would just be proud of myself that, yay me, I went to morning practice, yay me, I did this time in this broken set, whatever it was. I mean, I didn't have that term yay me because that's something that's in the more like probably five years. But I give you that as an example of the short term, doing those short terms to get to that long-term goal. And I did it in a non-financial way. So thanks so much for listening today. I just so appreciate you. And I love the emails I get from you. All right. I want to do a big shout to the Aussie fans out there. And thank you so much for leaving an iTunes review. And so I want to make sure I mention Lizzie Joe and Samantha L. Thomas, Thu's, and also no nickname number two. Thank you, thank you, thank you for putting uh, your reviews on iTunes. And I so appreciate it. And I love our fans from down under. So thank you so much. And I'd love for you guys to leave an iTunes review. Until next time, I'm smiling big for you. On a lake, she is dreaming. She is drifting. Never been so wide awake.